are listening to the YRU Interview Podcast, Episode 1. Hi, kitty cats. I am Amethysta Herrick, your hostess for YRU, a podcast about identity. In our lives, each of us must develop an identity. Often, however, we develop identity by accepting a comfortable social role. We allow a vacuum to be filled, as opposed to thinking purposefully about who we are. In this interview series, I ask people to describe themselves. First, to tell me who they are. Then, together, we determine why they are who they are. My hope is to uncover general reasons why we become the people we do, how our biology, our psychology, and their expression within a social environment converge. This content has been brought to you by subscribers of my Substack publication. If you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. If you would like to support shows like this one, as well as my writing, please consider subscribing using links in the show notes. In this first episode of Why Are You?, we meet Cyprus, a graduate student in philosophy. Again, check the show notes for links to people we mention. Enjoy the discussion. All right, well, joining me today on the show is Cyprus. Cyprus, thank you so much for joining me here on Why Are You? Hi, Amethysta. It's really, really good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation. Right. No. So you mentioned to me um, that you are a philosophy. So you're a graduate student in philosophy, right? I am. Okay. Yes. So in my own work, so, you know, um, it, my transgender experience gave me some interesting cognitive changes. And so, you know, over the last nine months, I've been writing, well, seven, uh, I've been writing about just sort of the origin and the nature of identity, although it didn't really strike me that that's what I was writing about. Mm. And so I started off with some science stuff, genetics, biochemistry, and, and I've returned to these a couple of times, including talking about evolution, you know, how that, how that plays into, you know, the identity of a culture, like how that, how that evolves over time. I've thought about psychology. My, my background's not psychology, but I've certainly been in enough psych wards. Maybe it should have been psychology. Um, so I've thought about psychology and identity, and then I've thought about how those two express themselves in within socio-environmental uh, factors. And so all these come together as 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 part of the um, you know part of the the um, biopsychosocial model um, that is used right now. Not not necessarily for identity, but you know, used to to explain why a person is kind of a person, you know, why that person could be who who you know who they are. So when you reached out to me, I was interested because philosophy is a great, I mean, I think philosophy is fun. Um, you know, I think most people see it as as, you know, crusty people sitting in an ivory <laughs> tower. We do. You know, I'm just yeah. I'm just gonna tell you that's it's not totally wrong. Yeah. Well, it's our perception <laughs> from the outside, right? Yeah. But I thought maybe, you, you know, you've got, um, you know, insight into, you know, the, the current thinking on identity. So I was hoping, you know, you could just kind of start us off since this is the very first episode 
of this podcast, you know, sort of establish, you know, what's the current thinking on identity? Yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, I think the the current thinking of identity is pretty um, diffuse. I don't think there's like one central view about how identity gets formed in philosophy. Um, but the kind of way that I typically have been thinking about identity, and so I, I guess I should say that I work in the philosophy of gender specifically. Oh, okay. um, and something that you said kind of made me think about how even when we don't think we're writing about ourselves, we, we kind of are writing about ourselves. And so um, in the course of me doing this work, I've, I've transitioned in the course of doing this work. So my relationship to um, these questions of identity has sort of changed in nature over the course of thinking about these things in a really interesting way. Okay, interesting. Um, but I, so in, in the kind of sources that I draw from in the way that I typically think of identity, it's definitely, um, I think, less of an emphasis on the sort of, um, genetic or biological um, um, sources that people look to for for trying to explain some of how identity functions. Um, for me, it's it's much more at the sort of social level and at the phenomenological level. Um, and I draw a lot, and the people that I that I work with and think with draw a lot from this tradition that Judith, Judith Butler kind of um, is probably the most famous example of writing Gender Trouble in the in the nineties where um, a large part of what identity formation is or what it is to like become a subject is to have certain possibilities foreclosed by um, the sort of social signifiers that you're swimming in. Um, so like coming into subjecthood is being told, at least in large part, that you're uh, not this and you're not that. And sort of as these things build up, it starts to build up. Okay, well, I'm not this, I'm not that. This mm -hmm. is sort of what this is. And I think that view of identity is sort of um, a, a broad tool for thinking about a lot of aspects of identity, but especially for thinking about um, trans experience. Um, part, of right. what, um, part of what to me um, coming into the view of myself as trans and sort of looking back on uh, my life from that angle is seeing this thing kind of at play. Uh, right. The way in which um, my self, my identity, my subjecthood has been shaped by these pretty extensive regimes of disciplining and and foreclosing possibility. And I think, um, especially for the for trans people, but for for people broadly, identity is sort of found at the nexus of what aspects of those. Um, that disciplining you kind of take on and also what you're resisting, um, whether it's because of you just have a desire that you know that this is wrong and you're sort of resisting. And I think that's how identity, that's how I've been thinking about it anyways. That's how identity mm -hmm. crystallizes is that, that that location of um, resistance and also acceptance of this kind of um, social mechanism that I brings see. subjects into being. Yeah. All right. You, you mean... Because when when you say you use the words, um, you were told you're not this, you're not that. You're talking the 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 pressures from society, the the norms that we have, and um, you know how how you choose how you choose to express yourself within these pressures, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think like you know the use of of told this, told that um, certainly is meant to be like more expansive than just like you know, people sit down and say things, but in terms of like the entire, right. you know, horizon of, of cultural messaging, um, 
um, all along a spectrum of from explicit to implicit to modeling to to whatever else. Right. But yeah, um, that's the idea. But it does imply it does imply that it would be contextual. You know, the society you're in. Well, if you're in a different society, you know, you would have different pressures. Um, you know, there there's one one um, thought that I, that I keep having that I keep meaning to um, explore, and I don't. Where you know, in South Korea, like if you look at the um, you know the pop stars, South Korean um, pop stars, the men wear a lot of makeup. They wear, they mm. they look very effeminate, typically more effeminate than the women. And I've always wondered to myself, well, if I had grown up in that society, would I have the, would I have faced the same pressures? Would I have faced the same dysphoria? And I'm curious. And it sounds like, uh, I mean, I have no way to test this, obviously. I mean, this would be sort of difficult. But um, d- does that fit in a little bit with, with um, how you're thinking about this? Absolutely. And I think you're right that it's, it's a counterfactual. So it's hard to, to have sort of definitive proof that this is the case. But yeah, that's how I typically right. think of these things that they are pretty contextually sensitive. Okay. Um, that, yeah, say if you were in a different cultural context at this current moment, or if we can imagine sort of future cultural context that we might be able to have, have people become people in. I do think the, the, the different ways in which those pressures play out or don't play out, the pressures that are there or that are not present, um, will sort of change um, um, the way in which people come into being. And that's not to say that, um, uh, I mean, and this is where things get a little bit tricky to pin down, but I think that um, one way I, I typically try to think of it is like, there's there's probably a spectrum of people that you could be. <laughs> um, and uh, that thing is pushed on from all sorts of different angles. And right. when it's pushed on in certain ways, you kind of start to become this kind of person. Um, but in other situations where it's being pushed from different ways, there's there's also uh, other kinds of, of person that you could become. Um, but that's not to say that there's no sort of like um, connecting theme. I think that, yeah, we have who knows where they come from, but we do have desires and, and interests that I think right. would be somewhat stable across those cultural contexts. So I think it's it would be too it would be too you know quick to say something like, uh, the identity that you end up with is just like um, a mecha- mechanistically like a function of of, of right. these social pressures. But I do think that um, at least the way that I think about these things is that subjectivity identity is like pretty plastic and and does um, or can be pretty influenced by this sort of like uh, constellation of of right. social meanings that we find ourselves in when we're coming into being as a person. Yeah, right. No, that's that's uh, that's beautiful. It's a good lead-in because one of the parts that I left out when I was talking about what I've written about, while I think that there is biology and there's psychology and then there's the pressures of of you know our socio-environmental, uh, well, the environment, our social environment. I my belief anyway is that there is something that stands outside of it because you know if we look at um, you know I'm not sure how much Indian philosophy you know you've studied but Advaita Vedanta in in particular you know the whole its whole purpose is just for you to look at yourself and say who am I over and over and over and if you go well who am I well I'm my thoughts am I my thoughts because I can observe my thoughts and if I'm observing my thoughts if I'm observing myself thinking there must be outside something outside of it 
you know, and, and further and further, you know, I'm, I'm my emotions. Well, no, but I can observe my emotions. You know, I'm my body. No, I can just look in a mirror and, and you know, I can observe my body. So, you know, the purpose of, of uh, you know, this line of thought is to say that there is something that is outside of all of this, in my opinion, you know, for whatever it's worth, is while there is a biopsychosocial model of development and identity, I still believe there's something outside of it that that resists or can resist. And, and you had mentioned resistance earlier. So, you know, I, I think of this, you know, in particular with my transgender experience, you know, I, I got a whole lot of pressure growing up in the 1970s. No kidding. Tell, tell me how young I look. No. <laughs> you look you look incredible. 30, 30 35? Not even, not even. <laughs> As I was growing up in the 1970s, you know, there were very different pressures than there were now. And while I wonder, you know, what sort of pressures I would find if I grew up in South Korea, I wonder, you know, what would it be like now? So my point being, though, in the 1970s, I still pushed past it. I still felt these feelings because I think it was outside of it, no matter what my uh, social environment was. So do you, any thoughts on that part? I do. And I, I agree that I think that um, to make sense of a lot of experiences, there has to be something, yeah, that is beyond, um, uh, yeah, your your individual experiences or your individual, the, the, the scripts that you're given that kind right. of travels above and can resist or reinterpret these, these scripts. I think also um, going back to this idea of like a spectrum, I imagine, um, or at least this is how I typically think of things that people are probably also on a spectrum, not just of like the kinds of people they could be, but also like another spectrum of how sensitive that that formation would be to different environments. Right. And so right. I think for some people, um, yeah, there, there is this like, there's this core network of desires or ways of seeing oneself that is going to come through really strongly kind of in any context. I think for other people, and, you know, I, I will get into my experience. I think, it, you know, at some point in the conversation, I think is maybe more towards this other end where um, being able to even like articulate my desires, my self-understandings required certain concepts that I think um, had I not had access to them, it's, it's a good question of what would have surfaced or, if it surfaced, would I be able to recognize it as the thing that I, I can recognize it as? And so, right. um, but yeah, I do think that certainly there's, there's, there's something, uh, there's something over and above this stuff. And I think there's probably, like I said, a spectrum of, of how, um, how insensitive to like contextual variation that thing is for people. Right. Um, right. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, I love that. Uh, I love that theory. The, uh, this idea of, several axes of identity, but then on, you know, superimposed on top of it, you know, uh, um, you know, the sensitivity that you have all along that axis. That's a, that's a great theory. So at a dumb curiosity, you, you had mentioned before, before um, we started recording that this was partly your thoughts. Um, is, is this, I mean, is this, how much of this is original, I guess, is my question. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good question. I've been talking pretty fast and loose. So I say that, yeah, I draw from, I draw from Butler. And so like Butler talks a lot about, you know, the way in which identity is sort of like comes into being in these acts of like either co-optation or resistance. And so that's kind of coming from Butler. A lot of the, some of the other stuff that I was saying about uh, these, these different spectra of sensitivity and the sort of belief that I have that 
that these things are pretty plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, it's certainly drawn from sources, but in terms of like articulating it this way, I think this is sort of like more of my thoughts. So, okay. you know, I, I take, uh, I take the blame for, for where they go wrong. Um, but also, um, I, I draw a lot also from my, my advisor, um, uh, who thinks a lot about these things, um, in this sort of way of, um, an unfolding process of identity formation rather than there being sort of like these stable categories. Um, and so this right. sort of idea of, um, an ongoing identity as sort of like an ongoing negotiation with the, the, uh, the processes of gendering of racializing of whatever else, um, is also something that definitely informs their work, which then informs my work, of course. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that's a perfect, uh, I think it was a perfect summary. Um, I will, you know, it, it struck me, I will go ahead and, and uh, stick a link to, um, to Judith Butler uh, in, yeah. in the show notes. Sure. That makes sense. So, so thank you for that. Of course. Um, so we got, you know, we've had a few minutes, uh, you know, about the, where we think identity comes from. Do, are you you ready for you ready for my extremely difficult questions? All right, let's hit it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it turns out I only have one. Okay, hit me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even a hard one, but I do like <laughs> to pretend like it's going to be hard. So the question is the question is just because this will turn into other things, you know, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question is just: Can you give me five words? The five words that sum up Cyprus. I can certainly try. Um, I am sensitive. I am open. I think in two senses. Um, I'm open and sharing myself and I appreciate people who are also open in that way. Um, and I'm also open to, um, new experiences and, and new people. Um, I think it's really a shame to feel like you kind of uh, know what you like and who you are and not be open to revisiting that. Right. Um, I am soft and I am uh, I am loving. I think that's how I'll round it out. Yeah. I like that. So here's what I took. I have sensitive, open to sharing yourself, uh, open to new experiences, and then soft, and then loving. So far, so good? So far, so good. Yeah. One thing I notice, you don't have your name in here. You don't have Cyprus. (laughs) I don't. No. Does that surprise you? Not really. Mm. Not for, do you mean for you in particular or do you... either? However, you take the question. Because I wonder, I've, I've now mentioned that, you know, a, a few times to people and, the, and everybody, when I have made the observations, everybody, three people who, to whom I have made this observation said, oh, yeah, I mean, that would be in there, you know, hmm. sort, sort of, you know, figured, you know, there, there's, there's an aspect, although it's, it's, it's a label as opposed to an identity. And my opinion is that it is, yeah, it is exactly that. Because if you were to say that to me, are you Amethysta? 
I would say, well, I call myself that, yeah. Um, now, that being said, I got to choose that, too. And I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you chose a new name after transition. I did. Okay. Yeah. Which in that, you know, I'm sorry, you might be going this here already, but I, um, having you ask that question, it sort of surprised me, given that I chose this name um, right. intentionally. Uh, that it it didn't come up <laughs> in the list. And also even when it was pointed out that it wasn't in the list, I was like, well, that seems right, actually. Um, but yeah, I think I share the thought that you were start, you know, starting to express of, I did choose this and it is meaningful to me. Um, but what it does is give me a label that I can live in comfortably to right. to point at what I am. It's not what I am, I think. I, yeah. Yes. I, I think of it, you know, in the the cosmic, you know, the cosmic wall of cubby holes from when you were a kindergartner, right? And you stuck and you know, see, put my glue and my tape in here, my scissors. I'm left-handed too, so I would get the left-handed scissors, you know, which had like green rubber on it, right? Everybody else had blue, and so they kind of go, "What's? How come she's got green?" And they were also rounded on the edge because I guess they figured left-handed people either would hurt themselves or others. I guess I wasn't sure what they were, you know. Yeah, they figured I would stab out blindly with my scissors going, guys, scissors suck, you know. I'm not sure. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, big, big uh, tangent there. But like in the cosmic cubby holes, yeah, I can just, I kind of go, well, this is amethysta. And I can, you know, that that's where where my identity is is stored for the cosmos. But... (laughs) And, and obviously my name has a lot of meaning, at least to myself, but because otherwise I wouldn't have chosen it. And, and, and that's actually somewhat in, of a story in itself because I kind of didn't, but hmm. um, anyway, yeah, names. So it was, it, it's an interesting thought, particularly with another, um, you know, with somebody else who's undergone transition, right. you know, an interesting thought. So one other thing I noticed is that you don't, I think philosophers are thinkers. Hmm. I don't think that philosophers are thinkers. Philosophers have to be thinkers. That's their that's their 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 job in life. And you didn't you didn't mention anything about thinking. You didn't mention anything about thoughtful, perceptive. I didn't, and I think that um, this is part of a bigger conversation. But I think that one interesting thing, as these things can sometimes go. Uh, is that, well, it was happening before I recognized that what was happening was that I was starting to transition. Mm -hmm. Um, But this transition is not localized to whatever that would mean to like a gender transition, in in my experience, at least. It's also part of that process has been um, sort of reorienting myself to the world. And right. as that's been happening, one of the curious things that's been happening, especially a, a curious thing to happen to a philosopher, is that these kinds of things, yeah, being thoughtful, being, um, yeah, capable of whatever uh, abstract manipulations of complex thoughts or something that I think I did used to value more um, are falling away in interesting ways. Although that's not entirely accurate because I think even before, and again, before I at least came into the knowledge of myself as, transitioning um 
even before that, so even kind of right when I got to grad school, um, part of what I've been doing in philosophy is sort of trying to carve out space for myself, but also just for thinking through issues that um, doesn't lionize certain forms of, of, of uh, thought and rationality. Um, so uh, I'm drawn to, to people who focus on other kinds of emotions and engaging with the world. Um, my favorite, I mean, I don't know, it's probably a little uh, passe to have a favorite philosopher, but my, my favorite philosopher or someone who I draw a lot from, at least when I'm working on certain projects is Iris Murdoch. Um, and she, one of the things that drew me to her is um, she kind of approaches her approach to ethics is saying, look, like we talk a lot about like calculating consequences. We talk a lot about, you know, running these universalizability tests to see if our, if our, if our uh, actions are ethical or not. And the sort of like, major picture of what we are when we're engaging with each other morally is are these like rational agents um and murdoch comes in and says we've like we've lost track of something important one is just like the concept of love and its role right. in like our moral relationships with each other and two is like she actually talks about how this picture of a person as just a rational agent that sort of moves through the world and manipulates things or makes decisions or something is is not even close to sufficiently it doesn't sufficiently capture at all what it is to be a human being, which is involves this entire network of like emotion and perception, the way right. that one moves through the world, um, the way things strike one, uh, not going through this like entire process of rationalization, but just the way in which you're attuned to the world, what you see in the world before that process of, 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 of rationalization. And so um, I kind of, before even transitioning was trying to carve out space for a kind of, way of doing philosophy or at least um thinking about some of these philosophical topics that draws on other kinds of resources in the human spirit than um a very particular abstract kind of mode of of thinking um and so yeah i i uh it is interesting though to 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 notice in this conversation how much that has fallen away I think part of it too is um, maybe a little bit of like an allergic overreaction as well. Um, I think that it is a danger. And I know that, that you um, are an academic, at least for, for a period as well, mm -hmm. um, if you had an experience like this where, and I think this is probably true to some extent in all of academia, but I think it's particularly true in philosophy sometimes where um, you really, really um, kind of, I, I don't know what this word is. Um, you really focus on developing certain aspects of yourself, certain aspects of your way of thinking. And if you're not careful, it's very easy for these other things to kind of atrophy. Mm -hmm. um, I think actually, and this is like much probably too dramatic of a way to put the point, but sometimes I say like, I think doing academic philosophy makes you a worse person um, <laughs> in the way, in the way that like these things, uh, there's like a hyper specialization on a certain, a certain, way of thinking and a certain way of feeling right. and a certain way of right. with the world. Um, and so I think part of it too, is like a, maybe an overreaction, but certainly a reaction to that. I've been caught in abstract philosophy world for the last five years. And even, you know, before that I did my undergrad, so roughly 10 years. And um, I kind of felt in that process, some of these other things, some of the things that I, I'm 
brought up when you mentioned what the words I would use, I kind of felt those slip right. away or right. felt myself lose track of those things. And I don't know exactly what the connection is. I mean, I'm sure if we think that you could come up with all sorts of connections, but the process of transitioning has, has been connected also to that process of like recapturing and, and reevaluating how much I, I value these, these parts of myself. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I actually, I mean, I can kind of see a, a connection here. One of the, uh, the last observation I was actually going to bring up, I was going to say, you know, all of these are focused. I want to say this. Let me say what I'm going to say and then give me a sec to qualify it. I don't want you to go, wait, what? No, but they're very, they're very outwardly focused. Sensitive means sensitive to something around you, open, you want to share, but then new experiences around you. Um, loving requires, you know, an object. Um, and so I, I see, you know, I, to a certain extent, I mean, so I was going to make that observation. I see, you know, I see it's, it's very externally facing and these were words to describe you, but what you just told me was that, um, you know, it proves, I, I admit I had an ethics class as a, as an undergraduate. It's the, I think it's the only class I failed. Just oh, so yes. you know, well, cause, because the, um, exactly what you brought up where they, you know, they say, well, who, you know, who do you, in the sinking ship, you know, you say proverbial <laughs> say, right. Is it your spouse or is it your mother? And yeah. it's like, well, that's not a binary decision. You know, there is a whole network of, I think that was the word you used, right? Network of, of connections that, that becomes extremely context specific. And so you, you look at ethics, you know, there, there are certainly, I don't know that I'd call them universals, but there are things that you go, yeah, that's probably mostly mm-hmm. right. Um, but, but you need a bigger, you need a bigger perspective. You cannot look at it as, you know, like one, one decision, mother or spouse. And so what I took from that and, and help me if I've, you know, if I'm misrepresenting is that you're seeing, you're seeing the world from a more, in a more holistic way in philosophy in particular, because, you know, philosophy should have been, or, you know, should be, it should help us live. I Why agree. Else are we thinking yeah. about it? Right? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> if, if it's a bunch, if it's navel gazing and you go, well, I don't, God, I don't know, mother or spouse. And then that's sort of all of philosophy. Well, it does sort of ignore, well, the rest of existence. And so to try to pull this together, because I realized I went off on two, so I said two totally, you know, sounding unrelated things. But the way you described yourself and this change that you're going through to see um, academia, the world, the universe in a more holistic way, I think makes sense. Mm. You know, our, our identities are, are, yeah, our identities must be, I don't want to use the words in context, um, but part of a whole, you know, a piece of, of a greater whole. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that like philosophy and of course, like anytime I say philosophy, right. It's painting with an overly broad brush because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm articulating what might be called like, I don't know, the dom, the dominance or, or mainstream kind of broad trends in philosophy, but there's always been within philosophy, like counter traditions that are like always resisting this kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, speaking broadly, I think there's, there's a sort of isolation that comes both in the content of a lot of philosophy and also in the practice of a lot of philosophy. So like just thinking practically, like a lot of what philosophy would doing, say a philosophy PhD is, is like sitting by yourself and like thinking about things. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's very isolating. And then it's also isolating in the content and also in the sort of, um, the worldview that it often, that a lot of philosophy sort of operates with as sort of an assumption, just sort of like a background assumption that we are these sort of, yeah, disembodied knowers, at least essentially. Um, yeah, we're these like, yeah, brains in a vat who can, <laughs> can reason uh, uh, in, a, in a straightforward way without sort of um, taking into view this, the, the, yeah, the, the, the network that we're enmeshed in and how that affects our thoughts um, and our ability to articulate those thoughts. Um, and I think if you kind of swim in that water for too long, it, it does start to um, kind of without intending to kind of color your perception, or at least it did for me, maybe it'll speak for me. It sort of like started to color my perception of like what a human being is and what I am. Um, right. And yeah, I'm very deliberately resisting that um, uh, in part as a reaction, but also in part of just finding a lot of, meaning and connection in um looking outward beyond that way of of picturing what a human being is right for, for what it's worth i think many people I think one of our one of the major challenges that we face today i mean as a society is such an in, internal focus you know that not to see ourselves as part of a of a whole but rather to see you know, only our small part of it and, and uh, you know, to defend it to the death, if you got it. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked, we've talked for a little bit, right, right around 20 minutes. I I was so, you know, the the way I like to, to sort of sum these up um, is just to, to try to paint. So he's a painting, a portrait of Cyprus. I mean, this is going to be my best, the best I got to paint a portrait of Cyprus. Mm -hmm. This is from my notes here. So the person I see in front of me uh, is open in, in two ways. First of all, to the, the experiences coming in, but then also the ability to share their experiences back out and, and, uh, and inform the rest of the world uh, how the experiences, you know, have changed uh, what's gone on. And I see this because you as a person or a loving kind of person. And I think this shows in your ability to, to, to see the, to see the universe in a, in a bigger way, to see a bigger holistic view of the universe. And the first word that you gave me being sensitive to sense it as such, to sense it as more than just your little circle of the universe. And that's my, por my portrait of Cyprus. I hope that was, I hope that was okay. This is more than okay <laughs> it's really yeah um it's uh it's funny right i gave you those words but sometimes it's having to uh see it reflected back to you <laughs> that right. um makes a lot of difference for how easy it is to um believe mm -hmm. that picture yeah agreed um well cypress thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me. 
Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you again. You too. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. Wow. I knew when I was going to talk to a real philosopher that it was going to be an impressive discussion, but this show surpassed all of my expectations. Cyprus, I think you are a gem of a person. My love, my heart, my blessings go out to you. If you enjoyed this program, I hope that you'll subscribe to my Substack publication. Find more information in the show notes. And until next time, think about the burning questions such as why are you?